No, 78. I'm 10 off. Yeah. It is 78, <laughs> not 68. If you heard 68 and you're confused, that's because so was I. It's 78. Uh, filling in for Katie tonight, for anybody that's live, you can see we have Rachel, Robert's wife, Rachel. She's filling in. Uh, this week has been hectic for us because school is starting in Texas. Uh, kids come back next week, and we've been doing a ton of stuff at school all day this week, every day. This week. Yeah. My brain is fried. <laughs> But uh, hopefully it is not fried by the time kids come back. So before we move further, I want to make sure we get our sponsors done. Uh, I, I don't have Katie here to read it, so I'm going to, uh, if you want a high quality. Okay, we'll just say if you need a reptile, a snake rack <laughs> or uh, any acrylic uh, products. Yeah, because there's several acrylic things you're doing now. Lone Star Reptile Racks. And yeah. we, we're now on TikTok and we're actually putting up videos. Because as much as I dislike that, it gets a lot of freaking engagement. And I've already had two sales TikTok? this week from people who saw my stuff on TikTok. That's fucking so crazy. I will continue to TikTok it up. Were they all like twelve year olds? No, there's most. It's all grown folks now, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's insane. I do like uh, today. You made some cool little acrylic things. So we had we had made the eight inch by eight inch by sixteen inch acrylic. Uh, arboreal for like mm-hmm. uh, tarantulas. I have a pink toe tarantula in one. And then we we're like, you know, I've got jumping spiders. We should do one smaller. And you made one today that is four inches by four inches by eight inches with a locking door. Mm-hmm. Uh, Built in ventilation, drilled into the acrylic. Uh, awesome black hinges. So I'm excited to see that. I haven't seen that one in person yet. I'm excited yeah. to see that one. I should have brought one with me tonight. Those are going to be awesome for jumping spiders, uh, for young tarantulas and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Those are going to be great. And then you also have. We talk about the other cage. We talked about the other cage, right? Yeah, last week. Yeah, it's uh basically it's twenty by fourteen by ten, and it's dummy proof. And yeah, it is a hundred percent. I mean, there's someone's no way. gonna fuck it up. But yeah, the- I screwed one up today putting them together. I put a part on upside down, and I was like, okay, this is not as dummy proof as I thought it was. All right, so we need to, we need arrow stickers. Yeah, <laughs> so everybody can put those things together. But it's great. It's got an acrylic locking front door. It all screws together. It'll be amazing for uh, for anything, really. It'll be really great for HOTS. If anybody wants to get into HOTS, I'm not yeah. saying everybody should get into HOTS, and we'll talk about that tonight. But because it locks, it is great for something like that. Or it's great for you know a leopard gecko if you don't want your kids opening the cage because little kids will get curious and or, just start opening stuff. Like we, the first one I built, the prototype, I brought it home. Logan put a... Uh, a juvenile corn snake in it. He Great for corn snake. About eight or nine months old. Um, yeah, and uh, it's been great yeah, so far. And it's got a routed out spot on the on the underneath the bottom for heat tape, mm-hmm. uh, so that you don't have any holes going in. So it's great for corn snakes. You don't have any of those big holes for corn snakes to come out of because a lot of the glass tanks that have the reptile lids still have those openings at the top for cords to come in. And if you don't have something blocking that, corn snakes are really good at getting out of those openings. And I put lights in this one, but. Uh, we kind of decided that if someone wants lights in it, they're going to have to do it themselves. Yeah, it's... And it, I just silicone the hole. After I put the lights in, I just siliconed around the... the it'd be easy enough for someone to do. Super easy. So, I mean, yeah, leave that up for them. Plus, they're, they're putting it together. It's, the plan is to flat pack them. Yes. Uh, so, you screw it together. It's pretty easy. Yep, I'll have uh, probably eight of them at the show this weekend in Corpus. Which is our next sponsor. Nice segue. I know. Herb's Reptile Shows. 
this weekend we're in Corpus Christi. It's my first time going to Corpus Christi because uh, I'm now I live close enough to go. <clears throat> uh, but we will be in Corpus Christi August 14th, 15th, and then we go over to Bryan College Station, Texas. Bryan Dash College Station, Texas, uh, August 21st, 22nd. And then Conroe. Man, I feel like we were just at Conroe. There's only six shows between the last Conroe and this Conroe. So we were just at Conroe. That's yeah. why it feels that way. Okay. So September 11th and 12th, we were at Conroe. That's the big one. Uh, that's also going to be the good one because if you came to the summer one, people were kind of light on babies. So come to the September Conroe show, and I think a lot of people are going to have way more babies for sale. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the New Orleans show, September 25th and 26th. The Beaumont, Texas show, October 2nd and 3rd. And then I'm definitely not going to this one, the Pueblo, Colorado show. You're going to that one. Oh, yeah. But I'm teaching, so I cannot drive to Pueblo, Colorado, October 16th and 17th. Temple, Texas, October 23rd and 24th. I can go to that. That's, what, like two hours from here? Three hours from here? About two and a half. I really got to learn how far things are from here. Uh, And then I'm not going to this one either because I've been there and it takes forever to get there. Amarillo, Texas, which is Halloween weekend. Y'all will be there for that one. Uh, so yes, those are our future Herps reptile shows. Try and make it to one. So there's a, th- there was five shows in five weeks, but now there's only four because Stafford is Stafford got, yeah. Cause that fucking venue is terrible. Yeah. They, t- they tried to get them in trouble once for a wild copperhead. Yeah. Like months we, after yeah, the show, way after the show. Yeah. They found a copperhead and blamed the reptile show. Yep. As if there are no copperheads in Stafford, Texas. Yeah. So, and it was a neonate copperhead too, that, Probably wasn't even alive when the show happened, when the show happened months before. <laughs> uh, also, Wiregrass Exotics, if you are in southeast Alabama, I don't know why I think about that. I lived there forever. Southeast Alabama, go by Ozark, Alabama to Wiregrass Exotics. I think I heard there's a possibility of them moving. Not not from Ozark, but to a bigger place, maybe? I don't know, but I I'll find out more. But Wiregrass Exotics... They have great feeder program there, especially if you're anywhere in the area. Uh, their cricket prices are going to definitely beat PetSmart, Petco. Drive there, get them. Uh, they got frozen rodents. They got live rodents. So check out Wildgrass Exotics. Uh, and then also I'm pointing out our amazing sign again that we got up here from Focus Cubed. I, I still can't get over. Every time I walk in here, I see that sign on the wall. It's, it's awesome. So I think I got everybody covered. Oh, and then our giveaway. <laughs> I'll go ahead and talk about our giveaway. Our giveaway this this month and last month, it is July and August. We are giving away uh, forceps, feeding tongs, a cage hook, and a field hook, all from Best Exotics, but it is being provided and paid for and given away by Grant Family Exotics, our buddies uh, John and Callie Grant. So, again, all you have to do to enter to win that is post a picture of yourself with a reptile, preferably your favorite reptile, uh, if you can pick one, on Instagram or Facebook and put hashtag the Reptile Gumbo Podcast. There's not many entries right now, so right now... Uh, like, four people are really going to have good, good good chances of winning. Yeah. Hey, uh, anybody who is watching through Facebook, if you'll click on the link that we that James put... Um, at the top? At the top, the streamyard.com backslash Facebook. Authorize it to tell us who you are, and it won't show up as Facebook user in there uh, anymore. It'll that's how that works. As, yeah. Yeah, because we keep getting Facebook users, and I have no yeah. idea who Facebook like user the, is. I mean, I will tell whoever hi that said hi to me, but I'm not sure who you are. I can't see your name. Oh, Facebook user. So, anyways, I want to go ahead and get our guest in here because this is a guest I've been wanting to have on for a while. Uh, very interesting fellow. I think everybody's going to enjoy this one. So, let me go ahead and bring him into the stream. Terry Hearing of Dixie Reptiles. How's it going, Terry? It's going great. Hi, guys. I've uh, I've wanted to have you on here for a while. Robert and Rachel just recently met you. What two two slide ago, right? Mm-hmm. 
I think so. Yeah. Um, but I've known of you for a long time because I, I grew up uh, in Alabama and I've been to what used to be your show, the the Dixie, uh, the Dixie Reptile Show, uh, in Birmingham. Uh, and so I knew you then, and so I just want you've got a lot of really interesting stories that I'm sure we will get to uh, <laughs> throughout the night, but. Uh, I just I do want to hit on the show real quick. You don't, don't do it anymore. We talked about that before. You don't do it anymore. Um, you are retired from doing that, which I imagine took a lot of stress off of your life. It did. I I did uh, offer Repticon to take over their Atlanta show and kind of straighten up their people and organize their show for me, and they declined. <laughs> so, Go figure. And, and of course. You know, we'll leave that one as it is. <laughs> I, I do work. I, I have business cards from Mickey Meyer with Show Me Shows, and I have a very small position with him just as a quality assurance person to keep the right vendors in there and the wrong ones out. I've and heard that's my job. Well, I've heard those shows are pretty good. Um, and I've heard that from Sean from Herb Reptile Shows. He says that Mickey runs an amazing show. He does a good job. Him and Sean are they're my two favorite shows. Yeah. Those two guys do a great job. They're they're vendor orientated, and they're people uh, people persons. So they're you know they're just all about this business. They're not trying to take away from it. They're trying to build it. Both of them do a great job. So I can't say anything negative about either one of them. How long did you run the Dixie Reptile shows? Twenty three years. Twenty three years. That's a yeah. long time. And, it, and for any of that, it was a monthly show. So you did that once a month. Correct. When we started, it started out as a monthly show. I probably stopped doing monthly uh, about two years before I threw the towel in. It just got to where there were so many shows around me that just I just couldn't make it work on a monthly basis. Yeah. Well, that's the trick, because you got to get enough vendors in there, and they have to have enough supply to make it worth people coming to the show. Exactly. But, uh, for you know, I had a long run, and my target date was to make 20 years. That was what I would have been comfortable with to say I succeeded for 20 years in business, which I did and surpassed that. So that's, that was my personal goal. So now you, you've been, I you know you come and you've the uh, Slidell Herp show. It's got to be so much more relaxing sitting behind a table than having to worry about stuff on the other side of the table. It really is. I don't have to put up with any of the nonsense. I don't have to take the complaints. So let the younger guys have it. I'm good. I can't, I couldn't imagine. I mean, having to get enough vendors, everybody. I, I remember going to it. There were two places that I went to at once. I went to it at one place and it was like downstairs on UAB's campus, I think. In, um, Yes. Well, let's see. Yes, that was would have been the North Hall. And then I remember one that was upstairs somewhere. I had to go upstairs. That would have been at the Medical Forum at the BJCC, the Civic Center in downtown Birmingham. So how hard was that dealing with, and I've talked to Sean dealing with locations, and we talked about earlier with Stafford being a pain in the butt. How were those locations with you? I mean, because this was not when reptiles were as big. I mean, you were doing this early 2000s. They were just starting to kind of come along, but. They were difficult because, um, and I, I really hate to blame anybody, but to be honest with you, the hotels that I stayed in were kind of a nightmare. One of them was a Hilton. Uh, they double booked my room twice. Uh, 
on the first occasion, I left my room to go get something to eat. When I went back, my card wouldn't work. Oh, wow. And then somebody opened the door and told me that I needed to get away from their room. And I said, that's my room and my things are in there. And he <laughs> slammed the door in my face. So I went down to management. And so I chewed him up and spit him out. My contact person, because I also rented from the, you know, the city owned the hotel and the civic center. So I rented from that person. And when I jumped on a management and my contact person, they assured me it would never happen again. They gave me my room for free, bought my dinner, oh, nice. apologized profusely, went and got all my stuff from that person that had it in now his room. And then about a month and a half later, it happens again. This time I'm asleep in there. My <laughs> pilot is trying to break in the room. And I've got a 38 laying on my nightstand, and I grabbed my pistol and I started towards the door. And I waited to see if he was going to get the door open. I was just going to shoot whoever opened that door. And then that little voice in the back of my mind said, "You need to probably go ahead and say something because I'm not sure who this person is. They're they're trying to get in, but they're not really trying to break in." So I said, "Hey, what are you doing?" And I heard a meek voice go, "Uh oh," and they left. So I go back downstairs again. I call my contact person who I rent the whole facility from. And she's apologizing. I said, this is not acceptable. This is not acceptable at all. I said, if that guy had kicked that door in, he'd be dead. And it was an airline pilot. Oh, man. They rented my room to someone else, and I was in there sleeping. Wow. Yeah, that, that would so, freak me out. Yes. After the second time that happened, they had added a new hotel to their conglomeration of buildings there. And the manager walked over and showed me that that one had an internal deadbolt from the inside so no one could take a key card and get in. And that's where I stayed after that. <laughs> it just wasn't worth it. My, my two, the two places I feel the most uncomfortable are one sleeping because I sleep so heavy. Someone could walk all the way in, come up to me and thump me on the head. I'd never know it. <laughs> and taking a shower. Cause like when you're in the shower, you can't hear shit. I'm exactly. Just, I'm just always afraid someone's going to come in while I'm in the shower. Well, I'm not afraid they're going to see me naked, but. Right. You're kind of defenseless when you are. Yeah. There's nothing. I, it's not like I have a gun yeah. on me. I don't I have a shower gun. a little flop lock, so at least it stops them for a minute. That is true. Allegedly. I don't, who, who would want to fight a naked guy? That's kind of <laughs> I've done it. It's, uh, <laughs> it's difficult. There's nothing to hold on to. <laughs> nothing that's that you want to hold on to. Right. <laughs> I'm not going to fight with you. <laughs> right. Naked, so. That's true. If you're all soaked up and they come in, you're, you're slippery and naked. Well, what's worse is when they're like... High on uh, PCP, and they've cut themselves, and they're bloody and naked. Yeah, I ain't touching that. You can't just nothing. Nope. I mean, they can get away with murder. And at that they point. can't feel pain because it like turns off that receptor. Yeah, it's uh, it was not. It's not a fun time. I'll pass on that. Yeah. So you did the shows for twenty three years. How long before you decided to start doing your own show? Have you been because you've been keeping reptiles a while? Yes, since uh, well. I've been, I've had reptiles since I was a little boy. Born in New Jersey, my dad packed us up and moved to Orlando, Florida. He took a job with, I think, Martin Marietta. And uh, it would be like us going from here to South America and living in the jungle. It was just <laughs> paradise for me. Uh, animals were everywhere. Every weekend, somebody in the neighborhood found a snake, killed a snake, or hollered snake. And it was just, I was just in paradise. And no snow. You know, yeah, it was, it was warm and, you know, we would, 
there was an alligator that used to lay on a log and we could swim from our dock past a section of woods to go to some friend's house and their houses were on the lake. And the alligator laid on that log, so we'd just kind of make a wide swim around the alligator and then go to the beach at their houses. <laughs> but it wasn't a big one. It was probably two and a half foot. Yeah, the big one was like underneath it. You just couldn't see that one. That was... Right. <laughs> but it was the... It's where my passion really got going. My first snake, venomous snake I caught was a little pygmy rattlesnake. My dad made me pick it. Oh, wow. So you were in Florida, like, in the heyday of reptiles and shit happening. Late, late 50s. I got to go to Ross Allen's place. I went to uh, Owen Godwin's Gatorland. I got to see Bill Hass. I was That's awesome. Heaven. I bet. So, like, anybody out there that has, like, read uh, Lizard King, you were there in that area during kind of that time of shit happening <laughs> that shouldn't be happening today. That book scared me when I read it because I knew everybody, all the players. Waiting for your name to <laughs> pop up on each page? I was waiting. I was wondering if I was going to get arrested or what was going to happen. I don't think I did anything wrong, but I shipped a lot of animals to those guys and did a lot of business with them. Uh, you know, Pet Farm, for example. Uh, and I think it was Big Ray that I was dealing with, whose son owns Strictly Reptiles. Yeah. He'd tell me, I need box turtles, I need garter snakes, I need water snakes, I need baby sliders. One time they ordered, he wanted 500 eastern newts. I said, why? And he said, we've got a big order for them. Can you get them? And I said, sure. So we, we sanded a few ponds and got him 500 eastern newts and shipped them down there. Whatever he wanted, I could get it. I so, was having a ball. I worked second shift and I broke Madison County up into four sections, and I would hunt a section each week and make a shipment about every three weeks. That's great because just the thought of that now it, it makes me very nervous because you can't touch pretty much anything anywhere anymore, and definitely can't like ship it anywhere. So the thought of you just going out and collecting just mass amounts of any of this stuff back then is just crazy. Well, it was, but you know, for example, the baby turtles. When he'd say, I need a hundred baby turtles, in the spring of the year, yeah, I could get a thousand baby turtles, but I didn't go catch a thousand and send them. Yeah. I just sent what they wanted. And and I'll bring this up as a point of interest for the whole reptile community and the fish and game departments in the state. With the onset of reptile shows and captive breeding, there are very few true field collectors like myself. We're dinosaurs. Yeah. There's a lot of people out there taking pictures, and there's a few that are very talented, but nobody takes anything anymore. I don't take anything on rare occasions. You know, we went out to West Texas. I brought back a pair of Transpecos rat snakes because I'd like to breed those. I never have. But to take everything we found wasn't worth it, and it, that wasn't my purpose. So, But, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, I would have collected everything I'd get my hands on and sold it. And so... Pretty much everybody else did the same thing. Darren Watson asked uh, how you kept all these animals uh, at the time. So you're collecting, you keep them in uh, cages or you keep them in like large outdoor pens. How's that working then when you're collecting these large amounts for orders and stuff? Outdoor enclosures. The, the joys of living uh, in Florida. Well, you know, I was in Florida at that time. When I was shipping to Pet Farm, I was living in Alabama. Oh, okay. I grew up in Florida, but not... We left there when I was probably about 10 and went up to Virginia and then bounced around from Alabama to Virginia, back to Florida, and then finally my dad settled in Alabama. And that's where I really did most of my field collecting was in Alabama. Yeah, I don't and see... He would, 
he was a big factor in that too because we had went out to uh, Wheeler Wildlife Refuge and the baby turtles were hatching and he and I both netted turtles and when I was in school and I took them to school and sold them that's what got me started <laughs> <laughs> Just imagine like opening his backpack and going one turtle <laughs> I had one of those windbreakers with a zipper pouch and I put a half a dozen turtles in that pouch and sell them like that. <laughs> That's just like you can imagine the teacher like walks over and is like, why is your jacket moving? Opens up just turtles all over the place. I, I used to have a friend when we were kids in Little League Baseball that there was an abandoned house down the road. And he would go down there and catch um, decays and rough earth snakes and bring them out and sell them to the other kids for like a dollar. <laughs> yep. The, the odd thing about it was the principal finally got wind of who was selling the turtles and told me I had to stop. Two or three teachers had already bought turtles and I charged them more because they were <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like something our kid would try to do. Yeah, that's that's funny. Yeah, the only people I see like Phil collecting. There's one group that comes out of Florida and does the herp shows, but they're collecting like a lot of it is the stuff that doesn't belong in Florida. Right, right. Did you ever do any of that? I mean, you weren't down there in that time, so I imagine you didn't do any of that field collecting of the uh, the non natives. I I did not. Uh, one day I might try and get to the Everglades and catch. A semi-wild Burmese python, if you want to call it that. But to me, catching a Burmese python in Florida is not a big thing. I mean, I caught a Texas horned lizard in Alabama one time, and I'm sure someone brought it back and released it. Yeah. So catching a Burmese in Florida wouldn't be much of a thing for me. Like our son is always talking about going to Florida and doing that, catching Burmese. It's something he wants to do so bad. Yeah. He talks about it all. Every time we see those guys at the Slidell show or the New Orleans show, he goes and talks to them. And they keep telling him, just come down and we'll take you. Yeah. I'd love to go it, down there. It, it's a lot of, some of the things I would enjoy doing, I know there's some populations of panther chameleons. There's quite a few veiled chameleons. They hunt those at night. Yeah. Uh, Toke geckos. Of course, Mediterranean geckos are everywhere. They're even out there where you're at in Texas. So oh, yeah. They, they're coming across the southern United States and expanding their range. They've spread like crazy because I never saw them as a kid, but they are everywhere now. They are. I think the freeze earlier this year knocked them back pretty hard down here because we do definitely don't see as many this summer as we normally do. But I'm starting to see some small ones yeah. now, so I think there's a few uh, making a comeback. Yeah, and I, there's I guess there's colonies of wild tokay geckos in Florida too, which would be kind of cool. That's yeah. one of my bigger geckos that'd be fun to catch. But... I, I'm, I have yeah. no urge to catch a giant toke gecko. <laughs> they bite. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not for that. They, they yell at you and they bite. It's not lizard for me. I know, and, and Florida has been a a haven for tropical stuff. Anyways, my grandmother lived near Bradenton, and I can remember when I was a kid, we'd go down and visit, and there were. Instead of seeing house sparrows, there were flocks of wild parakeets that flew and nested and thrived in the late 50s and early 60s. They've been on the loose for a while. Of course, monkeys have been down there for you know, 50, 75 years. Which is so funny. Frank, you don't hear about any of that on the news. What's that? The monkeys? monkeys. We, have, we have colonies of monkeys in South Texas. I have heard about that. Yeah. Um, I know several people who have seen kangaroos or wallabies. And uh, someone told me that they found a cheetah dead on the side of the road once. But yeah, I wish the bobcat. It would, well, but see, it wouldn't surprise me though in Texas 
Yeah, no. Or to have gotten loose or been let loose and hit by a car. It wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, there was a tiger yeah. not that long ago wandering neighborhoods in Houston, so. Yeah. But. Well, the exotics has gotten kind of out of hand, and it's always been out of hand to some degree, but not as bad as it is now with the media jumping on everything and making these huge sensational stories, it really hurts the industry. So let me ask you. Uh, so back in the day, I mean, people tra- were selling and trading exotics all the time, all over the place or far less rules on it. Do you think that it's more of a problem now because there is media covering it? Do you think the same things were happening in the seventies and eighties? The same things were happening, but they kept it low key. For example, a friend of mine and he was, a good bit younger when he, I met him when he was a teenager and he collected snakes and stuff. And his passion was that he always wanted to have a cougar. Well, at that time, you could order a cougar kitten from a breeder. So he ordered one, but he wasn't responsible enough to keep it. And after the third time it got away from him, the animal control people took it away from him. But they didn't sensationalize his cougar getting away. Yeah, right. They just, you know, it would get loose in the neighborhood. And of course, it was tame and people panic and animal control would come out and catch it. He'd try and get it back. I think he got it back from the pound twice. And then the third time they caught it, they they find him pretty heavy and took it away and told him he was not allowed to have any big cats or exotic animals anymore. But the media never jumped all over it. With social media now, everything that goes on gets posted on Facebook and it's oh, yeah. a mess. Well, I remember you hear stories of like back in the 50s and 60s, you could order like almost anything in the back of magazines or just be like, order an alligator and you're just like, get an alligator delivered to your house. Yep. Yeah. The squirrel monkeys were what? <laughs> 10 bucks a piece and you could order that's, it out of the back of an outdoor life magazine. That's crazy. <laughs> that's <laughs> fucking insane. But I, and, and I can't imagine like there being like, it's not like today where you have a company that's shipping it and packing it just right and making sure they're just throwing that shit in a box and hoping it makes there. Well, they, most of the stuff was shipped through the airlines, so it was ah. it was it traveled a little bit better than what it does now. Of course, they don't allow warm-blooded animals to go through UPS and FedEx. But uh, from and when I used to ship animals, all of my shipments went through the airlines, and they came in through the airlines. Did you do the old uh, so, Delta Dash? Delta Dash, yep. I remember that. So, I remember I ne- that was right. I was I was right at the tail end of Delta Dash, right before FedEx, like. Going, hey, we can do this as long as there's companies that will help us out with this. And so that's when I kind of came in. But I remember Delta Dash, you would have to, and I think FedEx and UPS used to have to like make a, a box or a crate and send to them and get it certified. Right. And then they had to okay you so you could ship things. It wasn't just like, hey, let me call up Debbie and get a box and she'll send it to me and I'll ship shit out. Like there was a whole process. It, it's much easier now to ship the animals than it was. And, and again, we were. We're under the gun right now in Alabama with fishing game coming after us on the big snakes and African sulfurred rats and tigus and stuff. And of course, U.S. Orca is suing them for us, and I'm involved in that. And I'm hoping that fishing game will negotiate with us because I would really like to sit down and work this out with them where we both benefit. They just don't seem to understand. They look at a reptile show as these guys are just going out and catching all these snakes, stealing them out of the wild and selling them. And, you know, just they think we're raping the, the environment and we're not. We've actually protected the environment because most of these guys are breeding their own animals. 
and they're buying from captive breeders, wild stock doesn't, you just don't see it very often. Nope. That's why corn snake bans. I'm always like, why the hell are we banning? No one's catching wild corn snakes in large numbers. You know, I, my wife is new to all of this. She's, she was bugs and lizards and turtles when she was a little girl. So she's a very outdoorsy person. And when we met, she wanted to see all the different species. So for her, it's a bucket list to catch this or to catch that. But yeah, I have a wild caught corn snake. The very first one she caught, it was a juvenile female. And I told her, I said, since it's a female, we'll bring it home and breed it to some of our other stuff and have some wild stock. But we don't go out and catch 20 or 30 corn snakes or, you know, hunt them. Yeah, I still have a few places where I flip 10, but, you know, we don't take them. We just take pictures and leave them there. And that's the general consensus. A lot of these people, when we were out in Texas, most of those guys were just taking pictures. Now they'd keep a gray band if they caught it because that's, a, you know, that's the holy grail in Texas. But most of the time they wanted to photograph the animals and release put them right back where they found them. That's what we do. So the pressure is off the animals. Fish and game really does. We're not threatening them as much as we did in the early days. Yeah. That's one thing I think, you know, people, some of the more purists when it comes to reptiles talk about how morphs have ruined this or that. That's one of the areas where I think morphs and animals have kind of helped. Uh, no one wants the wild caught look anymore. I mean, we talk about not being able to find a normal ball python. It's, it's nearly impossible to find a normal ball python. I think the hardest thing is a normal corn snake. You can't find one on earth except for like Terry's house where there's a wild caught one. That's it. That's, that's, that's the one. Well, I have, I have the one wild caught female and I know exactly where it came from. And I have bred her to a, um, an Okatee and raise, I'm going to raise up some of the offspring. And then I went and visited Terry Vandevener on my way back from Texas and got some pure Okatee from the plantation over there in the Carolinas. And his animals go back 50 years. So I do have those, but they've been in captivity and he's been breeding them for years. Yeah. But I wouldn't. I wouldn't even consider going over there and looking for a wild caught Okatee corn snake. I can go to Daytona and buy hundreds. So you what? Know, the market, there's no reason to go collect them in a the wild. You just you recently went to mm -hmm. West Texas. I'm, I'm assuming you went to West Texas when you were younger as well, right? I did. How I went out there. I, I think my first trip out there was in the late seventies. How different is it now? Excuse me? How different is it now from then? It hasn't changed much other than the fact I didn't see quite as many animals as I had seen in the early days. But then again, I wasn't out there this late in the season either. I usually went out in the early spring. But I think the number of animals you've seen along the roadways has declined because of hunters and cars just killing them off along those roadways. Mm -hmm. Um you know, Highway 90, which runs through, well, runs from Del Rio all the way out through Sanderson and uh, to the Davis Mountains. That used to be a great spot to hunt. And you still see a fair amount run over, but it's, it's difficult to collect along that roadway other than the rock cuts. So now, we did, see, we saw a, a fair number of snakes, but not like yeah. in the early days. When we were in Slidell, you told a story of a run-in with uh, wildlife and fisheries out there. Uh, when you showed them a snake. Can you share that story, the one where they uh, told you what they do normally? Yeah. We we got stopped at Black Gap, and I have uh, LED lights on, mounted on the front of my forerunner so I can light the road up, and I had them on. And so he 
passed us and he flipped around and he came back and he, he pulled me over and uh, he asked us what we were doing and he told me that it was illegal for me to use my, he called them off-road lights. And I said, well, okay. I didn't think they'd be much different than high beams because I turn them off if the car's coming. But uh, while we were talking to him, I asked him you know, what the laws were about picking up a snake after it crawled off the road. And he said his interpretation was, since it was illegal to spotlight a snake, if I saw it with my headlights and it crawled off the road, I couldn't take it because I first saw it with my headlights. But I can park my car on the side of the road and get out with a flashlight and catch anything I find on either side of the road. <laughs> and I would imagine if I got a flashlight in my hand and I see one crawling across the road and I'm not using a vehicle, I can catch that one too. But he he made a kind of a snide remark and he said he was tired of people coming out here and collecting snakes and selling them. I just said, I told him, I said, I didn't say anything about selling snakes. We're just out here collecting. Then he wanted to see what we had and I had a Transpecos rat snake and I picked up a little Aatrox and I wasn't positive whether it was an Aatrox or a uh, uh, a scoot, the Mojave. Yeah. So he looked at it. He told me that it wasn't. And I got a better look at it and realized it wasn't. And I told him I was going to release the Aatrox, but I was keeping the Transpecos rat snake. And his partner go looked at that one through the bag. Of course, they had a, a bag you could see through. And he goes, well, that looks just like the one we put in the road. And I said, you guys bait the hunters up with fake snakes in the road? And they just both hung their heads and, well, you know, we got to do what we got to do. And I'm thinking, that's pretty pathetic. Yeah. You know, you're out there in the middle of the night for trying to catch people with a fake snake. And honestly, I don't know that it hold up in court. Could they Could they find you for intent? Seems like entrapment. Uh, it's not well, entrapment because it's... Entrapment, but the thing about it is, if, if I sold you a fake rattlesnake, would it be against the law because you bought it? Right. Yeah, that's a I good mean, question. I don't know. Um, I mean, I think I would take them to court on that if they ever wrote me a ticket for picking up a, an artificial rubber snake in the road. Because right. Basically, what they said is they had one that was painted up, looked just like mine. I can understand them doing it with deer because then you're getting them for shooting from shooting. the roadway. Exactly. But picking up a snake, I'm just getting litter off the road. I mean, that's at that point, picking up a rubber snake. Yeah, it's trash. Yeah. The the, the game warden's littered in a heartbeat. Yeah. Well, see, and that's you said something earlier when you were talking about his interpretation. That's the problem with the way a lot of those laws are written. They're written for interpretation. They're not cut and dry. Almost none of them are when it comes to yeah. wildlife laws. And so that's the, where the, a lot of these issues come from. The local guys told me that down in South Texas, where you know you collect the Mexican milks and uh, indigos and various things that they don't ever stop you for night hunting because that's the only way you can is to shine the roads. You're not going to get out and walk along the side of the road with a flashlight. There's no cuts down there. Yeah. That's all flat country. And, and they, they tell me that the game wars don't bother you. They just check your animals, make sure you got a license. Everybody asks us about our licenses. Of course, they saw our vests. And uh, all of the uh, Border Patrol guys were great. They just ask us, you got your hunting license? I said, yes, sir. Just making sure you got it because they'll give you a ticket for it. And they knew we had our vests on because they could see the vests. And they were super nice. That one game warden and one county cop pulled me over and then he called for uh, 
Border Patrol to come check us out and make sure we didn't have anything, which was fine. They were, you know, Border Patrol was great. Like I said, just one officer pulled me over for a bogus thing on a one tag bulb was missing. It burned out. And he <laughs> said he couldn't my tag and he was right on my bumper. Wow. Yeah, that, that's just needing an excuse to pull someone yeah, he, over. He needed an excuse to pull me over to see if we were transporting drugs or if we had any illegals, which we didn't, but he did call. Border Patrol for backup, and they search the vehicle, and and I don't have a problem with that. Yeah, so I, they got a job to do, and I know it's kind of tough. Hey, if they want to check us out, they're welcome to it. We we didn't get many grief about that. Yeah, they're not out there trying to trick you into breaking the law, right? No, they didn't throw a rubber Mexican out in the road to see if I'd stop <laughs> yeah. and pick it up. Right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, so man. that's uh, Amanda Rua. Yeah, has a question there you want to ask him. Oh, yes. Okay, so Amanda asked, and it's funny, she kind of asked it when Terry was flirting around this, but she wanted to know if you could comment on where y'all are at right now with the large constrictor Tegu ban or injunction in Alabama. Where we are at right now is um, we tried to get an injunction, and we could not because the regulations had already been passed. Then Fish and Game filed a motion to dismiss on the grounds that we didn't have any people or evidence to back up what we were after, which was bogus. And so the judge, which I was grateful for this, the judge threw out their motion to dismiss. So it's been denied. We're waiting for another court hearing. And I'm hoping that they're willing to negotiate with us. That's what I'm hoping for. And I'll try and, uh, Negotiate with them. I know it's about money. That's that's all they want is money. They don't care about the animals. They don't care about anything. Yeah. They just want to make a dollar. That's that's the way the world works. It's unfortunate, but that's the way it is. And y'all, do y'all have U.S. Ark working alongside y'all? Yes, uh, U.S. Ark has hired two attorneys out of Birmingham, Alabama. Those are the two that are working with me and a couple other plaintiffs in the case. So we, you know, we got a pretty good team working. And, and you know, U.S. Arc is relentless. Yes. If, if we lose it this level, we'll go to the next, uh, go, I guess, uh, district court or whatever. Next level up, they won't stop. Well, there was no catalyst in Alabama that started this, right? There was no big find of a released pet or anything. This just came from they other had, states, didn't it? What they did is they, they looked at Florida and they said, and I'm going to be sarcastic. They're lazy. So instead of writing their own regulations, they just look at what Florida's doing and go, well, we'll just do what Florida's doing. We'll just write what they wrote. And basically, that's what they did. And when I questioned them about it before these laws, these regs went into effect, I said, so is there a problem with African soft-furred rats in Alabama? And I'm speaking with an on-game person. And they say, no, we don't have a problem with them. I said, so why are they... Why can we not have them? Well, they're injurious. Well, injurious is a pretty broad, has a broad definition. Cows, chickens, goats, anything that was brought over this country is injurious. And my problem is they didn't do an impact study. They knew nothing about the animals. They were complaining about tigus because a deer hunter said he saw one in South Alabama. And our response to that is deer hunters see Bigfoot, mountain lions, <laughs> yeah. alien, spaceships, and whatever it is, you know, they might see the next morning after they've been hung yeah. over or something. They're not a biologist. 
Right, and we don't have any. They don't have any proof. They have hearsay. We're, that doesn't work in the courtroom. The judge won't buy that. So we we're putting our ducks in a row, and we've got documentation. You know, the the numbers are there. There's shows in Alabama. They're going to hurt the. They're going to hurt businesses in Alabama if they shut the shows down by taking away the things that other vendors from out of state would want to sell. I mean, that's what kind of ruined Daytona. That's why I mean. Well, fishing game came down hard on Daytona. I was one of the ones that came down hard on. I didn't appreciate it at all. I quit buying a license at Daytona for several years. I would go down there just because, you know, I'd hang out with my friends and stuff, but I didn't bend anymore or spend any money with them. I just didn't want to give them my money anymore after they treated us all like criminals. Yeah. And you know Tom Harbin. He's a veterinarian. They did the same thing to him. They searched him like he was a drug dealer. I mean, we're inside the Oceanfront Civic Center. Why would someone come in with bummies, pythons, and hide them under a table? There's no place to secure them. They're either in a bag or a box. Yeah, it's a, it's a very public venue when that place opens up. would be pretty stupid. You'd have to be the dumbest of the dumb criminals to bring a bag <laughs> of bummies and pythons into a show like that. No one fishing game is going to check. And no one that you bought a license from fishing game to sell reptiles. And they have the right to check. Yeah, and you're going to be surrounded by breeders who have no problem self-policing that whole situation. So if you're in a, a group of tables and someone sees that shit, someone's going to report it to whoever needs to get it out of there. Oh, yeah. Exactly. The first time that Fishing Game came to my shows, and it was one of the first shows when I started in 96, they pulled me aside. It was two game wardens. They pulled me aside, and they said, we're going to cite two of your vendors. I said, what for? And they said, one of them's got box turtles. And I said, well, what's wrong with a box turtle? Well, they're now protected in Alabama. I said, okay, I didn't know that. The other one had baby soft-shell turtles that he was selling for pets. And I said, soft-shell turtles, I know we're not protected. Well, that's true, but they're a game animal, and he's got turtles under the size limit, so it would be like having a crappie or a bass that's too small to keep. Turtles are a game animal? Yes, the turtle, because you can eat soft-shells and snapping turtles, you can't possess one that's a baby because it's got to be big enough to eat. <laughs> so <I> said, you... <laughs> These guys cannot eat baby soft-shell turtles. They're not pancakes. They don't fry them up and, you know, with butter and put butter on them. And he just looked at me and I said, am I in trouble? And he said, no. And I said, okay. I said, I'll make it my job from here on out to make sure that there's nothing here that's illegal. I said, what would you like me to do if I find illegal animals? that someone has brought and they don't know. And they were super nice about it. They said, if somebody brings something in and you know it's illegal in the state, ask them to put it under the table. If we find it and they're not trying to sell it, and you tell us, you know, you found it and they're not selling it, we're going to let it go. I said, fair enough. So I screened my shows, and anytime somebody brought something in that was illegal or they just didn't know, I'd say, you can't sell it. Box it up, stick it under the table. Okay, so that makes me wonder. So what are some of the uh, the weirdest things you had to tell someone, look, you can't sell that? <laughs> <laughs> well, marijuana was one of them. <laughs> Not really weird, but I was a little shocked. Uh, I won't mention any names, but I had some enterprising vendors that decided they were going to make as much money as they could. That's fine. But oddball things. Uh, 
you know, all the pine snakes are protected in Alabama, and every once in a while someone would have black pines, which once you get out of Alabama, you can breed black pines and sell them, but where they're found, and Alabama is one of the few places that are found, you cannot sell them, trade them, possess them, whatever, without a permit. So, I, and then Alabama just finally put all the pine snakes on the list. So any of the North American pines can't be sold or traded in the state without permits. Hmm. Actually stopped a guy coming in the show here in Gadsden, Mickey Myers is putting on, and he had a northern pine, and I stopped him, and I said, you got any paperwork that? He said, yes, I do, and he showed it to me, so I said, you're good to go. So they can sell them as long as they have all the, the permits and everything for it. I don't know what he was doing with it, but he had a permit to possess it. Gotcha. So it looked, you know, I don't think he was trying to sell it. I don't know what he was doing with it, but, you know, he was legal with it in his possession. And we've had some people come in and display animals that are protected in the state, and they have permits for them. Because sometimes people want to see certain things. You know, coral snakes protected. You can't have a coral snake. So kind of nice for people to get a good look at coral snakes so they can uh, know the difference between scarlets and scarlet kings and milk snakes, which are all similar in this area. Yeah. So I'm thinking 20-something years of doing a monthly show there's got to be some crazy stories. I, I've got to imagine what fish and wildlife came to you more than those two, though, that time with an issue. They set a sting operation on me. Um, <clears throat> several years later, we were actually over at the university. And what had happened was that someone had gotten busted and gave out my name and said that uh, I was the one that was. You know, if you came to the Dixie Reptile Show, you could get anything you wanted in the way of venomous snakes, which is not true. I put a stop to it when the state passed the laws that, and I, and I didn't want venomous there anyways. Now, what they did in parking lot and stuff, I didn't pay much attention to until they started passing laws. And then I realized that most cities have an ordinance against dangerous animals and venomous snakes fall under that ordinance. So any city can enforce it. So I just put a stop to it completely, but they were always trying to sneak them in. And then somebody got busted in Tennessee. They gave out my name and fishing game set up a big raid on me because they thought they had something. And they investigated me for six months. And I knew this because the guy, the sergeant that came in left his notebook laying on a vendor's table and I got to see all my entries in his notebook for the past six months where he was checking me out, which was fine. Uh, yeah, I thought it was great because I had all of his information on everything he'd been working on for almost a year. I didn't give it back to him either. <laughs> <laughs> I brought it to my attorney to see if there was anything in there that he was doing that was illegal and he's just throwing the garbage. So that's where it went. But And when he walked in the door, uh, his, his undercover guys were standing in the hallway. I was actually talking to one of them. And he didn't realize I knew who he was, but we knew they'd been in there for quite some time snooping and before they came in one of my police officer buddies we always let the officers in for free he comes walking in and he said you fishing get busted for something i said i don't know why he said fishing games suiting up like a swat team out there in the parking lot i said oh man so when the sergeant comes walking in with his guys he flips his badge on me and wants to know if he's got to pay to get in i said we don't have a charge any law enforcement guys are part of it and uh, I said the only thing I'd like to do I'd like to ask of you is before you write any tickets let me see what you're writing so that I know 
you know what you're doing because there's a lot of animals in here and you may make a mistake. And he agreed to that and uh, he said that he heard I ran a tight ship and I told him, I said, if someone refuses to let you search, I said, I'll put them outside the building and then they're fair game for you. They can refuse a search in here, but if you just tell me if somebody won't let you look at their stuff, I'll, I'll put them out. And no one did because everybody was pretty much on the up and up. There was nothing illegal in there. They found a box turtle from Oklahoma, which was a western box turtle, and it was not protected in the state. And they thought it was an eastern box turtle, and we pulled out a book and showed them what it was. And they went out on about their business with nothing. You know, they didn't write any tickets. They didn't catch anybody. and Everybody complied with them. They got to search all the stuff. That was the end of it. That's got to be a good feeling, knowing that, like, you're standing there going, yeah, I know you tried, and you got nothing. Yep. And it, it was, I didn't mind them coming in looking around. Uh, didn't have a problem with that. That's part of their job. But to treat me like I'm some sort of a, you know, a kingpin in the snake underworld, I was not. I don't. You know, I just not big and venomous. I like it, but I don't trade it. And I had to get on the guys that were doing it. Um, one of the guys, he's now deceased. I actually kicked him out of the show because he brought a bunch of Western Diamondbacks and delivered them in the parking lot. Jeez. And then he got smart with me when I called him out on it. And he said, well, it doesn't say anything on your website. And I said, you need to go back and look at my website because in bold letters it says absolutely no venomous at the show. And then his comment was, I wasn't at the show, I was in the parking lot. I said, we're not going to split hairs here. I said, when I rent the building, I rent the parking lot too. So it's mine, the building is mine. At the show is in the parking lot or inside. Don't bring illegal venomous reptiles to the city of Birmingham or the state of Alabama because Western Diamondbacks are not legal here. You gotta love the fact that he wanted to argue with you who own and run you own and run the show. It's your show <laughs> and he's gonna try to argue. That's like Sean said that the woman told him that she was gonna get him fired from Herps. Yeah. <laughs> he said the only person that can fire me is Lori and I don't think she will. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I dealt with a lot of that too. I had a guy that brought some rock rattlers and he was trying to sell them out of the trunk of his car after I had told him not to ever bring any more venomous and I kicked him out for good on that one. He was all upset. Well, how am I going to get rid of them if I don't sell them here? I said, that's not my problem. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the ignorance of some of these people. I had another guy that smuggled in a, I think it was a little uh, rhinoceros fiber. Had it in a deli cup. Did not tell his wife what it was. And it pushed the lid off the deli. Oh, shit. Ooh. Oh, man. He wasn't at his table, and she picked up the snake and the cup, had it sitting in front of her, and she was trying to put the lid on it, and she did not know it was venomous. And a couple of the vendors panicked, and they got over there and got the snake contained, and they didn't tell me about it till after the show. <laughs> when I called the vendor that had it, him and his wife both denied it. I said, well, I'll tell you what. I've got four different people. That said this happened, and I believe it happened. I said, just don't ever come back. I said, if I'm wrong, I apologize. But I just, there's just too much That's evidence here. You had the snake, and the guy that took the snake away from him took it to Georgia because they weren't <clears> supposed to. But Alabama, you know, it just, it's just a bad situation. If that would have been her, that'd have been a lot of business. So, all right. Well, that kind of leads into the question we asked. I asked you the other day, 
what kind of question you'd want us to ask the listeners. And this one got a lot of responses. Uh, so I'm going to read the question, go through a few of these responses, and then I know you will have an opinion on this. So then we will ask you your opinion. But uh, the question was, what do you think needs to be done about the recent venomous snake escapes, and how can we stop it from happening in the future? And so there were there were a lot of them, and, and a lot of them were really good. Uh, let's see. James Ware says, when it comes to venomous animals, uh, says, I do keep them, and I'm trying to get a, a well, I misspelled Gila, but it says Gila. Uh, he says, first, he thinks he needs to be 18 years old or older, which uh, at most shows, I think they do venomous. That That is kind of the rule. I know Sean, that's that's the rule there. <clears throat> a kid can't buy yes. it. Uh, he also says, a second ID to purchase? Uh, maybe. I don't know. Uh, third, a lock escape proof habitat kept in a room with a door that closes and locks and air vents must be smaller than half an inch grid pattern. If you can't provide these simple escape proof measures, you have no business having these venomous things, which I agree. I agree. That's you definitely need caging is a big issue. And that gets mentioned several times here and people don't think about their house. They think once I've got it in a cage, I'm good, but shit happens. It does. Uh, Amanda said, I like the Florida style laws of keeping extensive hours of working with various species, bite protocol, incident procedures, inspections. I have no qualms with having home verify that I have competent, that I'm a competent keeper. I know many who look at this as overreaching or home invasion, but they don't care about the rest of your home. Just the animals in question are properly cared for and everything's up to date, whether it is bite protocol, accurate animal inventory, etc. I think the big thing. Because I know it's it's Florida. Was it is it a thousand hours per family? Right? Isn't that how that works? Um, no, I think it's a thousand hours for the individual that wants to keep. Them. But that's what I'm saying. It's it's it's, it's per family of uh, venomous snake, though. It's like it's a thousand hours yeah. per yeah, lapid, a thousand hours per vipers. Right. Um, I think the biggest thing that does it it helps the person get experience, which is definitely huge. But the biggest thing it does is it stops the person from just going into a show and being able to just buy stuff, like. You know, because if they're not willing to put in the time and effort to get the hours, they're going to quit and they're just going to move on and they won't be an issue. Now, right. again, go ahead. Well, it's it's a great deterrent because, for example, I had a youngster over here in Alabama that wasn't even old enough to buy cobras and they were totally illegal and he bought two of them anyways at a show. Someone sold them to him and he brought them back. And I got wind that he had them. And I just called him up and I said, Either sell your Cobras, take them back where you got them from, or put them in the freezer. Well, you can't tell me what to do. I said, no, I can't, but I can put you out of business. I said, you won't come to my shows anymore. No one I know will do business with you, and you will be shut down. So I'm, I hate to play hardball with you, but you're just going to destroy our industry if you've got Cobras. And he got rid of them. And I, there's a few other individuals that uh, we've had come on pretty hard. And it, it's sad because people like, Steve Irwin were great for this industry. They were just, man, they were sensational. Yes. I liked watching these guys. But a lot of kids saw that as, well, if he can do it, I can do it. So I want to catch rattlesnakes and I want to be famous snake hunter. There's really not much money in being a famous snake hunter. Yeah, no. very few. <laughs> <laughs> and Steve Irwin got tagged by the stingray and he's gone. Yeah. Because well, you don't even see much on TV. I, uh, who's the other one that? Got bit by the little. Uh, there was a uh, Steve Austin. There was Steve Austin. Then there's a, a guy. He got bit by one of those snakes that the 
fangs come out the side of their mouth. And oh. they tell about it. What's uh, that? Yeah. Is it the still, isn't it stiletto snakes? Isn't that the one that? Stiletto snake. He got bit by one of those. And it was an ordeal with him in the hospital. I can't think of his name. But he was pretty famous. But you don't see much of that anymore. And some of the kids that I know that have come up in this industry, you know, watching Steve Irwin tell all these snakes, that's what they want to do. Grab them by the <clears> tail. Be famous. Yeah, that's... There's, there's That's no the problem. You, yeah, you can't make a living working with venomous snakes. It's a dangerous job. Well, I always tell folks when it comes to Steve Irwin, it was it's a completely different human than most humans. Like the way he did stuff, I think drew a lot of people into the hobby. Most of the people my age uh, loved him and watched him. The problem is there are a lot of people out there who just watched it and weren't smart enough to make good decisions. And they're like, exactly. I could do that. I mean. I look at a lot of things on Earth, and I'm like, that's cool. I don't go, I can do that. Right. Like, I'm like, well, everybody has to learn the lessons hard way on occasion. You don't have to learn the lesson the hard way all the time. And dealing with venomous snakes is a hard lesson when you oh, get yeah. bit. Well, and it's, and it's obviously, and I want to make sure I say this, not all snake bites, obviously. Venomous snake bites by someone who owns a venomous snake is, is mishandling and all that. Accidents happen. But right. there are a lot mm-hmm. of folks that get bit because they should never have been in that situation in the first place. And it's very selfish of them because those bites 100% affect the rest of the hobby. I don't care how much they go, well, it's just me at my house. Well, you at your house have to go to the hospital or there will be a news story on you. It 100% affects everyone else, which we'll get to that in a, in a minute, someone affecting everybody else. But Ashley Howdy said... uh the more it's talked about, uh, the more momentum it gains, typical social media news these days, which I agree. The more, uh, But I think the more we talk about the fact that we don't accept it as a hobby, the more I think that needs to be heard as well. I think uh, podcasts and other people on social media talking about how it's not, it should not be socially acceptable to do the things like you know, having a Cobra in your driveway and recording it and putting it on TikTok. That should not be done. Right. Um, and so Ashley says she's for proper permits, education time, and mentorship. Very similar with Florida. Uh, however, there are people that feel that they are above or uh, they feel they are above or around the rules. That is the battle along with human error. And and as much as we talk about permit systems have done correctly, it would be great. And what Florida's doing is okay. Uh, it's a lot. I compare it a lot to guns. There's, there's gun laws. And the, exactly. And a lot of times the people shooting people are not following the gun laws. It's not like you, you, the people following the gun laws didn't shoot people. Yep. And I relate it to the guns. And in order to get a hunting license in Alabama, you have to go through a hunter safety course. And a, and a big part of that is how to handle a gun, the do's and don'ts. And I think that's fantastic because, for example, if, if a guy, you know, he's never hunted, he's never owned a gun, and he's... 25 years old and his buddies are going hunting and he goes, well, I'm going to go hunt. So he goes and buys a gun, gets a hunt license, gets a tree stand, heads to the woods. He's he's just a time bomb. Yeah, that's the guy that shoots his foot off or kills his buddy. He shoots his buddy. Uh, one of the issues we're going to present to the state, they're worried about turkey hunters seeing tigus. We've had three turkey hunters get shot by other turkey hunters this year. I don't yeah. think that to take the validity of a turkey hunter seeing a tigu when he can't tell the difference between a human and a turkey. <laughs> so that, that's not going to stand well in the courtroom. It's going to be comical, but we're going to bring that up. Oh, that's insane. You know, turkey hunter can't ID a turkey when he sees one and he shoots another human. 
how in the world are we going to believe him when he says he saw a tiger? Right. Yeah. Because I've been a hunter my entire life, and those are some of the last guys I'm going to believe on what they saw in the woods. I've had them tell me they've seen timber wolves in East Texas and black panthers in East Texas. and yep. Yeah. And then they go out and shoot a two-year-old deer and say, oh, I thought it was a mature buck. You know, same guy. I've hunted and fished my whole life, and I've listened to these stories. I owned a taxidermy business, probably heard every deer story there imaginable on how they killed it and what happened <laughs> and what it did. I've, I've heard some of the dumbest stories, too. <laughs> I mean, one guy told me that he fell asleep, and a fawn was sniffing his gun barrel. And I kind of looked at that, and I said, Okay, and he continued to talk, but when he said that the doe got to looking around for her fawns and she stood up on her hind legs and screamed for them, then I knew it was full of crap. <laughs> <laughs> Listening to his story. Yeah. Another guy told me he grabbed the deer by the leg and wrestled it down when it walked by him. He was sitting by a rock and the deer walked close enough for him to grab it by the leg. I've had my hands on a few deer. They're more than a handful. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. You're not just wrestling it to the ground, throwing in a headlock. It's no. pretty tough. Yeah. Oh. Uh, Lavissa, Lavissa said, what I would love to see happen, probably won't, is the community as a whole blacklist people like that. Uh, a much more extensive vetting of people who are buying these animals, the ones that can be dangerous in the wrong hands. Uh, the sellers need to vet buyers thoroughly, proof of setup, uh, security measures, maybe even references from who mentor them through their venomous training. So, I've heard people like this before, and then you hear the other side go, well, it's not my job to do that. I'm just selling a snake. But the more this stuff happens, the more I think, no, it is your job. Like, yeah, it's going to put more on a seller. But we, we need to police our own groups just like, just like I do with people selling poor quality animals. Yeah. I won't let it happen at the shows that I'm over. And at my show, I would not let them sell. You know, I, I kicked a guy out that used to buy B-grade animals from one of the dealers in Florida and sell them. You know, iguanas, missing tails and toes and B-grade quality animals. I told him, you can't vend here. It's not acceptable. And if we don't police these venomous guys, we're going to have to do the same thing. Uh, I'd like to see somebody come out with a, a good series. And I'm looking at you, Robert. Some nice venomous cages with good locks on them and double screens where a snake can't run its fangs through a event or anything and bite somebody by accident. Yeah, we're working on it. Okay, good good plan. That would be something that you could push and I'll certainly push it for you because I know a lot of guys that love their rattlesnakes. Yeah. But, you know, one of my best friends, and I told him several times, I said, if a cane break ever bites you, you're going to be real careful from after that. And he had a critter keeper with a little juvenile cane break in it, <laughs> and he went to pick it up and you know how the top it's, vintage, it's flat yeah. and it grooves down and it's got those long grooves. Mm-hmm. He picked it up by the sides and the snake bit him through the grooves. And he sent him to the hospital, scared his girlfriend to death. She thought he was dying. I'm not going to lie. I get nervous at shows with all these venomous and deli cubs with air holes. Like, I mean, obviously I'm not saying get rid of the air holes, but uh, it, it doesn't take it, much. It doesn't. I mean, they're always looking. It's like a mouse trap. They're always looking for an opportunity to get you. If you keep touching the bait, Spot on a mousetrap, it's going to snap your finger. Yep. You, know, you might do it a hundred times, but 101 is going to get you. And it's just, you really have to take a lot of caution with venomous. I've worked with them over the years. I still do safety meetings with live venomous because I want people to 
imprint on a live rattlesnake. I want them to hear it, see it, see how far it can strike. And I work with the animals. I've done it for years. And it's, they're, they're just, they're really dangerous. They're not something that you need to run out and get sticking a 10 gallon aquarium with a screen lid and a couple of books on top of it. That's pointless. Yes. And I, I like that. So it's a double edged sword here. I like that they're sold at shows. One, I like the fact that someone can come in and see these animals that they'd never see anywhere else. And that's really cool. Also, exactly. I, also I like that the, the breeder can have a face to face with the person. And, and kind of get a better measure of them than through talking online and shipping stuff and all that. So I like that. Uh, but, but there definitely has to be more on the vendor or breeder, uh, than just, well, they had the money. Like, yeah. It, it can't happen you, that you, way. You know, you can't be driven by the dollar. You, you, your customers have got to know what they're doing. And I, <clears throat> back years ago, I used to sell venomous and I quit. I have a real good friend that's, you know, he's, we've been friends for over 30 years. And in the early days when I was selling venomous, he said, do you think this piece of paper, this waiver that I wrote up for you is going to protect you if someone dies? And I said, well, it's supposed to. And he said, well, let me, let me just paint a picture for you. You sell a guy a cobra. It bites him and kills him. His wife comes into the court. She's crying. You killed her husband. He's the breadwinner of the family. And it's your fault. And even if you hire an attorney and win, what will it cost you to fight that battle on a wrongful death suit? And when I thought about it, I said, you know what? You're right. And I don't sell venomous. Quit a long time ago. Now, zoos or institutions or, you know, professional people, I may give them to them because I know they're working with them. But as far as me selling venomous, I don't care anything about it. So yeah. it's it's a tough it's a tough call because there is a huge liability. Well, and I always hate the argument, and it's always from obviously non reptile people usually. But the uh, no one needs to own a venomous snake. Okay, well, first off, you can't tell people what they need or don't need, and and, and in reality, in reality, none of us, I guess, need to own any of these animals. We definitely want to, um, but I mean, at that point, you're saying no one needs to own whatever type of car they have and no one needs to own whatever type of clothes. I mean, that's, that's a horrible argument, but I hear that a lot. And it's, again, you see it when these articles get posted on Facebook on a non snake page and then people just start throwing in comments. Yeah. Wait. Well, there was an incident <clears throat> with a striped cane break that someone caught and a girl got a hold of the pictures and she posted it on a few sites that she wasn't a member of. And her comment was it was, re- it was released back into the wild no one should own a wild animal. Well, you know, this is a girl that's in her 20s. She doesn't get to make the rules. You know, we've worked with wildlife ever since we've founded this country. I mean, you know, the, the pelt trade. Animals have always been a part of the business. Now, we do need to regulate it because of more people and bigger populations. But, you know, Back in the 50s, if somebody had a rattlesnake in a wooden box, nobody cared. You know, they might go over and look at it, look through the screen at it, or if they had a glass cage, they might look at it, but nobody really cared. If it got bit, it was its own problems. But nowadays, it's, it it's more yet. of a problem. Yeah. And the more people are more proactive. They want to change everything and make tons of rules. It's communism is what it is. I yes. mean... 
for example, if they tell me I can't have a Burmese python without microchipping it, and that's if I had one before the ban went into effect, well, what are you going to do with a guy that's got cows in one of his cows? His cow got out and a uh, motorcycle hit it and killed the guy. So you're going to make him microchip his cows? Are you going to check his enclosures? No. <laughs> Hang on a minute. I can't talk right now. Um, I thought I had my phone turned off, but I clicked it back on for some reason. I'll turn it off. But that's where we're, what we're up against with fish and game. I don't want them telling me what I can have and what I can't have and how I have to house it when they don't regulate anything else. Yeah. The wild hogs are a huge problem in <laughs> Alabama. I know they're bad out in Texas. Oh, yeah. What are they about that? Do they make hog farmers microchip their pigs because two generations they're back jet black and they're totally wild? Yeah. So you're going to go to a hog farmer and tell him he's got to microchip every pig he's got because if we find one out, we're going to come back and find him? They don't do that. Nope. But and they won't do that because there's money in that business. But like Texas Parks and Wildlife right now is going around all these deer farms and they're killing everybody's, you know, $100,000 breeder deer because they want to test them for CWD. And the only way to test for CWD is you have to have a brain sample. Yep. So, yeah, it's it just doesn't make any sense what... Every time somebody tells me they asked a game warden about a reptile <laughs> law, because, um, you know, they they took the, the, the cane breaks off of the protected species list last year here in Texas. Well, Texas Parks and Wildlife still has on their website that they're protected. And I, and I tell people all the time, look, you can go up, go look up the Texas Administrative Code and see that they're not on the list anymore. But if you're relying on Texas Parks and Wildlife for your information, you're going the wrong way, for sure, because they're they're they are not the clearinghouse for correct information. And most of the game wardens, I, I talked to a game warden who had just been to a legislative update class, and they said no. He said no, they're still protected. And I said no, look, man, they were taken off March 30th, 2020, and this was like last August. He said yep. they told us in our legislative update class that that didn't pass. <laughs> I said, well, it's it passed, and he ended up calling uh, um, calling somebody in Austin, and they were like, oh yeah, yeah, we just haven't disseminated the information because of COVID. You know, they blamed it on COVID, obviously. COVID stops an email, right? So yeah, you had game wardens for almost a year running around thinking that they were still protected and trying to write people tickets for relocating them, uh, and they weren't they weren't valid well, citations. That- and I hate to slam fishing game. One of the biggest problems is, is they're underpaid. Yep. Yeah. Overworked. Yep. And they can't possibly know everything about wildlife. I mean, I could dance circles around these guys of what I know about what's in the woods in Alabama compared to what they know. And it's not that I'm, it was my passion. Their job is not their passion. My right. the woods and wildlife is my passion. So, yes, I know more than they do. And and they need to either educate themselves or they need to get professionals in there that can do the job if they're going to regulate something. But if they don't know anything about the animals, according to the game wardens that showed up at one of the shows in Alabama looking for tigus, one of them was a lady officer, and she did not know what a tigu looked like. She had <laughs> never seen it. Well, that's... So if you're in for something that's illegal and you don't know what it looks like, how are you going to identify it? Right. And states have like a state herpetologist. That person knows reptiles, but that person isn't the one going around writing tickets they for should. it. Here's the problem, and I've offered to help them. 
they don't want to work with the private sector. It's got to be somebody from the University of Auburn or Alabama. It's got to be a PhD that supposedly knows a lot about reptiles. I hate to tell you, but those guys don't have the field experience I do. Well, they definitely don't have the pet trade experience. So when it comes to something like passing these laws on berms and tegus, they don't have they don't have that knowledge. Nope, they can't identify European wall lizards and different things from around the world. They can only identify what they know about. Look, I could throw so, a Berman or a African rock right there, and they'd have no idea the difference. Exactly. Uh, you know, uh, albino Colombian rainbow boa. That looks a lot like an albino Burmese. They'd confiscate it if they found one. If oh, nobody yeah. said anything, they'd take it. That's a Burmese python. Well, like I said, when the guys came to my house because of the damn carpet python, I said, all right, these are sand boas, and their first thing, those are boa constrictors? Like, no, they're they're sand boas. They're not even close. Like, <laughs> I mean, calm down, guys. Well, I, I got into a little yeah. argument with a guy yesterday in a snake ID group because he said, we need to ban all pythons, and I was like, so... Uh, you're worried about like a children's python getting loose and that, going out that and three wreaking foot, havoc. That or? three foot snake is horrifying. Right. I have one, and she's a bitch. Right, but I named <laughs> off about six different pythons, and I'm and and uh, he said, "Well, just the dangerous pythons." Uh, okay, so let's also ban all dangerous people. Right, so that's uh, all of them. But I went to his page and saw pictures of his cat out in his yard. Fucking cat! And I said, "Well, that says enough. That's all I need to know about you, man. You're not even yep. worth talking to." And that's the whole thing. What are you doing? You're worried about protecting the wildlife, so they say. Mm-hmm. Feral cats are doing a tremendous amount of damage. They are the worst. You know, the tree huggers are going to, they're going to scream bloody murder if they go after feral cats. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it's, I've told this before. So, down uh, in South Louisiana, there was an area, they had tons of feral cats. They went out and they caught all the feral cats, fixed them. And let the motherfuckers go. I was like, you yeah. did the hard part. Yeah, they call it TNR. Yeah, don't let Trap them go. Release. You fucking did the hard part. You had them. Yeah. Adopted out. Or it just blows my mind when when the commissioners change positions at our job. Our secretary who uh, was gone had had a cat and it had bred another wild cat. It was at our office and there was kittens running around and the new commissioner came in and he said. I want these cats out of our shop because they're they're making a mess. They're not doing any good. And I said, "Oh, can I take care of that problem for you?" And he said, yeah. so I got some. I went to Tractor Supply and I bought some traps, some live traps, and I had cans of cat food. And there was a lady behind me, and she saw what I had in my hand, and she goes, "Are you going to trap house cats?" I said, "Yes, ma'am." And she goes, "What are you going to do with them? Kill them?" I said, "That's the plan." She goes, we rehabilitate them. I said, no, you I don't want them rehabilitated. Right. Well, I w- we'll take them. We'll come get them for you. I said, no, ma'am. It's a county facility. You can't come on the property. Well, we'll see about that. I said, I'm telling you, you can't come on the property. I said, you don't even know where I'm going with these traps. Well, is there any way I can talk to you? She's arguing with me while I'm trying to check <laughs> out. And finally, I said, look, ma'am, I don't need to be rude, but this conversation's over. And she goes, well, God bless you. And I said, well, God bless you, too. And I walked out the door with my traps, and I caught the cats and disposed of them because that's what needed to happen. They were right. basically white. Well, that's the thing. Everyone's cool with going down and shooting every Burmese python in the Everglades. And I'm cool with that, too. They don't belong there. But the moment you say, kill that cat that no one can fucking touch, it's feral, you can't get near it, they lose yep. their shit. 
there, there's a dead, dead end street here in town that apparently there's a lady that feeds about 30 feral cats down there. A net gun will take care of and that. And if you drive down that dead end street, she lives down there, she will come out screaming at you, don't touch the cats, leave the cats alone. I mean, she is crazy about these freaking 30 cats. Can you imagine what 30 or so cats are doing to the... There is not a, there is not a lizard, snake, or bird anywhere in that area. Nope. Now, they they kill for fun. Yep. Yeah, they're, I always say they're serial killers. People they were people, like, we'd lock them up. My snake was playing, my, my cat was playing with the snake and brought it into me. Yeah, after it chewed its head off and for, killed it. And for fun, it didn't eat the snake. I was like, it was trying to feed you, thinking right. you were a bad hunter. Oh, fucking. I, yeah. I have no problem with indoor cats. You want to own an indoor cat, more power to you. And I have seen, like, some people, they build those uh, outdoor, like, the cat pens. Yeah. They call them batteries now. Yeah. Yes. yeah. That, that's and cool. Where it you go? It, it needs to go that way because. For example, I worked for Madison County Commission, and we issued the licenses for dogs. And I asked our secretary, I said, well, is there a license for cats? Well, no, they don't have to be licensed. And I said, a dog has to be licensed and kept contained, either fenced or chained or in your home. But I can go buy a cat, and I don't even have to buy a license for it. I can just turn it loose, and it can run at will. Well, that's what cats do. I I fucking hate that. I fucking hate that. that. Well, that's the cat's job. Doesn't have a fucking yeah. job. Doesn't have a W two. Like it's not <laughs> right paying taxes on this. The, the shit needs to. No, I, I agree with that hundred percent. Like, no, my cat's job is to sit on my lap and make me happy in your house, <laughs> in right. my house, fun. which is where she stays. But Darren Darren Watson posted. He said uh, they're talking about killing feral horses in the Midwest. He said people will flip their shit if that happens because everyone loves Mister Ed. So <laughs> you can't kill yeah. the feral horses, but if they're doing damage. Then they don't belong there, and we put them there, which is how they got there. Mm-hmm. Then we have to take care of the problem. Well, that's the way I do the same way with deer. The insurance companies go nuts over the deer population in Alabama because more cars are damaged and more claims are filed because of deer collisions. And what does fish and game do? They limit the number of deer we can kill. What? Okay, what is your purpose here? Yep. Yeah. You, you destroy their habitat, and, and I had this same argument with one of the game wardens. I said, you want to protect the eastern box turtle? I said, what did you tell Walmart when they wanted to take 100 acres of, of habitat and turn it into a parking lot and a super Walmart? Did you tell them that they had to relocate those box turtles, or did you just turn a blind eye and let them take their bulldozer and kill everything on that property? Well, we, you know, yeah, they just start stuttering. Because that's exactly what they did. Yeah. If I go to Birmingham or Montgomery and say I'm going to put up a, a Bass Pro Shop and I need, I'm going to buy this 500 acres and I'm going to drain the swamp. Uh, all they see is the tax money they'll collect from that. Uh, yeah. Oh, oh, that's great. You're going to you're going to create jobs. You're going to improve the city. You know, you're you're doing all these great things. I'm destroying wildlife and you can care less. But catch a kid with a box turtle and he's carrying it home, and we're going to write him a ticket. He's not allowed to have that box turtle. Yeah, that's, I, I agree with it. I disagree with their reasons. Yeah, it's well, and talking about the horses and people losing crap. I've always thought it was funny when when I worked at the zoo because we fed horse meat to the alligators. That shit looks amazing. Yeah. Well, but we don't eat horse meat because I've, I've had it in Europe, and it's yeah, everyone good. else eats it. But it, we have we have this thing in America where like if we find it cute. You cannot get rid of it. Yep. But if enough of us are scared of it, doesn't matter if you like it. Fuck it. We don't like it. 
get rid of it because I don't like it. Yep. Yeah, Alabama protected the Eastern Diamondback. You can have one in your possession for 24 hours to relocate it. You can kill them legally and skin them and do what you want to with the hides, but you can't possess one. You can't care for it, take care of it, <laughs> feed it. and Can't take care of it, can't give it a better life than it could possibly have in the wild. Well, that's you know, that, what Texas did with the timber and the indigo. They 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 took them off the protected list, so any idiot out there can kill them now. But you could only collect, I think, two, and you can't breed them and sell them. You can't make more of them, but yeah. you can make less of them. Right. That is, yeah. that is where we sit with a lot of these laws. You can't make more of them, but you're allowed to make less of them. Right. That's you can't okay. make more of them because there aren't enough of them. Yeah. So. Well, that's like Louisiana pine snake. So I've got a Louisiana, I've got two Louisiana pine snakes. Uh, if, if I breed them, I have to have a permit. They have to have a permit. It's a whole per- big system. And I get that because they're endangered. But no one's fucking finding them in the wild. Like I'm not breeding more of them to ruin the population of the wild. Like go find me one. First, before you get on to me for having one. Right. I don't know. It's just uh, the, the way the laws are. You know, so it's so they, um, they, they just don't understand. They, yeah. they, they, they want to throw a blanket and say, we'll just protect them. And that way nobody can have them and nobody can do anything with them. You know, yep. If we destroy their habitat and they go extinct, you know, so be it. But it wasn't done by a commercial collector. And when I and I did call Fish and Game when I got back from Texas because I wanted to find out about the indigos. I was told we could have one piece by some of the other collectors. And when I talked to the lady at Fish and Game, she said, no, there's no possession limit on it, but you can't commercially collect them to sell. And if you live in Texas, you can't breed them and sell them. Makes sense. So, But you can't buy a commercial license to sell snakes that are found in Texas. So I don't quite understand what that what that means. I don't think they do either. I don't think they do either. Because she told me, she said, now you can buy a commercial license and you can collect snakes and sell them. And I thought, well, heck, if I'm going to go out there and catch them to sell, I'll just buy that license. Right. And the people that are at shows, like people from California or wherever, if they're selling species that are found in Texas at a trade show, they have to have that commercial license. Mm-hmm. Then they can sell them. And they don't have to tell them where they got them, whether they kept it bred or where they caught them the night before. doesn't matter. So it, none of this makes any sense. And the states are just, I don't, I don't know who writes the laws, to be honest with you. So Darren asked a question. It's kind of on and off topic, but I, I, I like this one. He says, do you think feeding will ever be banned? Live feeding will ever be banned like it is in the UK? Uh, because people are so touchy on certain things. Um, I don't think we'll get there. I don't think we'll get there. I hope. But I know in the UK, you can't feed live. Unless you have, like, it will not eat. Yeah, it life. has to be the last ditch effort Yeah, to be able wow. to be live. Uh, but I think, Darren, I think we're safe here. I can't imagine. People hate mice enough in the U.S. We're still good. Mice still gross out enough people. We'll still be able let to me, them. Let, me, let me tell you, we're not good. We're just, we have to be careful what yeah. we do. Because I spent over 30 years on a committee at the University of Alabama as their animal expert, and I had to be an outside person. Myself and the veterinarian were the two outside people that oversaw what the students were doing at UAH with experiments on drugs and various things. And 
if PETA could have got my position or any animal rights group got in there, they would have stopped all the experiments on laboratory rats. Yeah. And that was a position that I was asked to take. It didn't pay anything, and I didn't care. I took it anyways. I took off work, burned my own time to make the meetings. We only turned down one proposal that was turned in, and we turned it down because it was poorly written, and we sent it back for a rewrite. And never turned a student down to do experiments as long as he followed the proper protocol, which meant if they were doing uh, pulling blood from a rodent or something, they had to give it something to keep it comfortable. Uh, the euthanization had to be done properly if they were going to uh, breed a bunch of animals for an experiment and then kill off what they didn't need. And we had a vet that oversaw that too. So I worked on that committee for a long time, and I know how bad the animal rights people wanted to get in there and put a stop to that. And this would this would hurt our medical field because uh, these kids were studying different drugs on animals. Um, it, it's how we learn without using humans for guinea pigs. Yeah, I vote there if we have those to. Those groups are out there, and if if we're not careful with our feeding thing, that's coming. Well, I think if they want us to get rid of animal testing, then we have to use PETA members. For all lab tests. <laughs> well, so I, you know, so I would prefer them instead of the primates. I kind of yes. feel sorry for the yeah. chimps that they're working on. But. Uh, you know, these guys, we've talked about it on the show before about the, the live feeding videos. Yeah, those things so, stop. Yeah, those, they're not helping anything. And it's yeah. always, always when you see it, it's the guy who got his first ball python in the last six or eight months. He's in his early 20s. And he gets pissed off when you tell him, dude, just listen. You try to speak a little sense to him, and he gets mad. You ain't going to tell me what to do. All right. Calls you a liberal or calls you a, <laughs> uh, you know, you must be a tree hugger. If you, It's what they do, and, and you try to speak some sense to him, and you realize that it's just way over their head. Yeah. Like they, they're they not it, capable of understanding it. And, and we, <clears throat> you know, us as a group of hunters and and fishermen and outdoors people, we do have to be conscious of other people's feelings because oh yeah, uh, I'll give you an example. I had had a pair of ball pythons up for sale, and I went deer hunting one morning, and I was checking my phone, and I was corresponding back and forth with a lady in California that wanted to buy these pair of ball pythons. And by accident, I had shot a buck, and I had it loaded on the four-wheeler, and I made it send that. My buddy and I said it to this lady in California. <laughs> 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 I back was spooky. She goes, why did you send me a picture of a dead deer? And I thought, oh, man, I sent the wrong picture to the wrong person. I said, I am so sorry. I said, I'm in Alabama and we're hunting. And I sent that. I meant to send that to my hunting partner to let him know that I'd kill a deer. She goes, we don't shoot deer in, in California. and We certainly don't eat them. I said, ma'am, I'm sorry. And I thought my sale was over with. She did buy the snakes, but she never contacted me ever again. So <laughs> you do have to kind of be conscious of other people's feelings. We're all different. Absolutely. They can't, they can't regulate what we do, and we yes. can't regulate what they do. We yes. have to have sort of a happy medium between us. Well, that's a lot of these laws are, are really based in feelings and not fact. And exactly. So... I do want to point out one thing that did come out this week that is related to all this and the question that kind of got asked. Um, so we talk about these people doing these things that end up causing laws to come. Um, and a lot of people go, well, my doing this one stupid thing won't affect everybody else, which isn't true because of this one dumbass in North Carolina 
uh, yep. who had his cobra get loose and not tell anybody, thinking, ah, it'll die. And then they found it. I mean, on top of the fact that he also got bit by a green mamba. But uh, so his punishment finally came down. It is 12 months probation. So 12 months, he cannot own a snake. And it's a $13,000 <laughs> fine. I'm The money, whatever. I don't, it, it is what it is. I don't think a year without snakes is enough for what he did. I don't know. I'm assuming yeah. the rest of everybody else here feels the same way. Yeah. Yes. I I think it should be much longer than that, or he needs to be, he needs that thousand hours of training, because obviously yes. it doesn't happen. Yes. And, and it's just, and I was talking to Katie, and she goes, well, a, a year seems bad. I was like, I need you to understand what he did. He had a snake get out, a venomous snake get out. He knew it got out. He knew the law was to report that it got out, and he didn't. And then he said, fuck it. I guess it'll die. And, yeah. and all of that time when it didn't die, it could have killed anyone. He basically put a loaded gun out on his driveway while kids were playing and walked away and said, ah, they won't shoot each other. We'll be yeah. Yep. So. No, I, I agree with that a hundred percent. You know, a year is just not enough. Uh, Darren Watson says five years and community service. I could get behind that. Uh, I don't know what kind of community service. Would be equal to this because I think he needs to learn something from there. But I am all cool with him like cleaning shit out of toilets as well. Uh, but I like the idea of him having to get training, some sort of training in that time. If he ever wants to own even a corn snake again, I, I just, I mean that that kid is going to if if U.S. Arc can't pull through, that kid is going to cause a lot of people in North Carolina to lose animals that they own. Yep, I think the damage has already been done. I'm told that Charlotte has passed some laws, the city. Yeah. And, and that's, that's coming. I mean, that's, you know, these places where these venomous shows are, if the city wanted to enforce the laws, they could put a stop to all the venomous shows. They just could. I hope it doesn't come to that. I mean, it's, it's kind of a, a right that we shouldn't have taken away from us. The more the government tells us what we can and can't do, we're just, we're losing ground too quickly yeah i mean if you want to have a venomous snake you ought to be able to go through the proper channels and have them and keep them and enjoy them if that's what you want to do it shouldn't be just a flat no well and you know so you're talking about being a right and i definitely think it's a right i definitely think we should be allowed to own these things and, and like i said earlier people will tell you that we shouldn't be allowed to own venomous snakes and then people out there will, like peter says you shouldn't be allowed to own anything but then those people have never seen a uh, eight-year-old kid at a reptile show holding his first snake, and it completely changes their world. <clears throat> like to be able to take that take that option away from kids and from adults. I mean, hell, I've seen adults who have never held a snake, and you put a ball python in their hand, and it changes everything they've ever thought about them. Exactly, they're almost mesmerized. Yes, it, and it's. And we have we have changed a lot because we have educated people not to kill every single snake they see. I've I've done numerous uh, programs, and and some of the guys send me pictures of rattlesnakes and things they see, and if it's not in a place where it's going to bother anybody, they let it go and still kill them. That's a great feeling. I've I've had people like that who before they knew me would have killed something, and after they know me, they send me a picture of something they found in the yard, ask what it is, and they go, "Okay, well, I'll let it go on its way." Yep. Yeah, exactly. They're not killing every snake, and it, it's just uh, 
the cell phones are great in that area because they all took my phone number and they're sending me pictures. Hey, what's this? Hey, what's this? I'm going as a yellow belly water snake. That's a that's a decay snake. It's not a baby copperhead. And now they're getting educated. And I even started my own identification site because some of the younger generation want to follow the new taxonomy and you know, you can't use a glue trap because it's cruel and inhumane. And uh, I bailed from a site that I was helping the guy with because one of his admins jumped all over me over glue traps. And I said, let me tell you something. If someone has a rattlesnake in their garage, let's say West Texas, you got a baby rattlesnake in your garage, you're scared of snakes. What would you tell them to do if they didn't want to go out there and look for the snake themselves or hire someone to come find it? Glue trap works great. If you catch something you don't want to kill, you pour some vegetable oil on it and it crawls off, then it's fine. That glue is dissolved by vegetable oil. So, and I gave this woman all this information and the admin jumped all over. We don't recommend glue traps. They're cruel and inhumane. They catch lizards and spiders. And I said, well, excuse me, but I'm trying to help a person. Not worried about the lizards and spiders. We can pour vegetable oil on them and uh, they're fine. Yeah, they used them out our office, and when I find them with skinks on them, I just pour some oil on them, let the skinks go. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's like I said, I, common sense is not common, and a lot of the things that uh, has been acceptable for a long time are getting washed away because uh, people think they have better ideas because their feelings are saying, "Well, we shouldn't do that." When common sense says it's perfectly fine. Exactly. Yeah, and that was that was point I was trying to get across. When you take someone that's deathly afraid of a snake, they want it gone. Yeah. I don't want one of the guys tells people if you've got a rattlesnake in your yard, spray it with a water hose of cold water and it'll go away. Okay. Is it going to come back? Obviously it came there for a reason. It smelled food. Yeah. There was shelter. So do you educate the people or do you tell them to spray them with a water hose and hope it doesn't come back? But if they get bit, who's at fault? Or if it bites the neighbor because it went to the neighbor's yard. I mean, you know, I've never condoned just going out and killing them for no reason. But when a person asks me, well, what if I do if I can't get anybody and, you know, kids find a rattlesnake in the backyard, I tell them, shoot it. You know, don't spray it with a water hose and make it go back through the fence because it's coming back. Yeah, it came to the yard for a reason, and if your last resort is to shoot it, I don't have a problem with that. Do I want you to go out and just hunt them and shoot them? No, but I don't want your kids or your dog to get bit. Hospital bills expensive for a snake bite now. Oh yeah, yeah you just give it Benadryl. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's that's what Facebook says. I saw a whole list the other day of things. Someone said their dog got bit, and there were like five replies in a row of shit that I had never heard before. Yeah. Of like uh, feed it a fried egg or something, or pour some oil on it. Like what the? F- Who the I, hell I've seen people? everything from grind up tomatoes and put it on, and it'll suck the poison out. Poison. <laughs> uh, to uh, you know, feed it tobacco. I saw that. That was on there. Yeah. Like what the? Or wrap it. That's a wrap. Yeah, we're not trying to deworm it. Like you know, it is the weirdest stuff. Do you remember when the and this came out in the New England Journal of Medicine that the uh, stun guns, if 
you got bit by a rattlesnake and you took a stun gun and you placed it right there where the rattlesnake bite was, you yep. shocked yourself with a stun gun and you neutralized the poison. People believe that. I've heard that. I've, it's insane. And, you know, of course, I was working at the university with uh, several of those professors out there and I said, is there any way there's a possibility that, because the, the article was pretty in-depth saying that the the voltage The high voltage changes the molecular structure of the venom and renders it harmless, which makes kind of makes sense. But I know it would do more damage to your body too. Well, a guy in Texas got bit by a rattlesnake and he cut a spark plug wire (laughs) and touched himself with the spark plug wire. (laughs) That didn't work. (laughs) Jeez, it could have been in Alabama, but it wasn't Texas. This guy. yeah, the, the guy in Alabama still did it. He just didn't tell anybody. Right. He still did it, though. Well, the guy in Alabama put the tourniquet around his neck, and that he didn't have to worry about snake bite anymore. So. <laughs> you know, it amazes me. Uh, I'm in that National Snake Bite Support Group, which, you know, has a couple hundred thousand members. And only, right. the, only the doctors and the staff are allowed to comment. Of course, every snake bite, you'll get 100 people that comment and get kicked out of the group. But yep. I'm amazed at the amount of bad information that doctors have when it comes to treating a venomous snake bite. You know, like, oh, your, your blood works normal. Yeah, your foot's swollen, but yeah, your blood works normal, yeah, so we can't do anything for you. You'll see people comment yeah. that they got bit, and they'll talk about their visit to the, the hospital, and then the doctors that are in that group are like, no. Yeah. <laughs> please, that's like, please Dr. Please. Green is not, he's quick to say, uh, you know, that's that's malpractice. There's a reason that people get sued for malpractice, and what they did is malpractice. And uh, it's it, it amazes. Well, there's been but, a lot of folks in there that are like they went to the doctor, they gave them some aspirin, and sent them home, and told them to elevate it. Yeah, like, that's that doesn't. What the hell is that going to do? Right, right. That, yeah, actually, they they'll tell them not to elevate it, and it's supposed to be elevated. It's crazy. That has been a pet peeve of mine for years, and I've worked with hospitals, and I've been in on several snake bites. I used to get the calls up there, and the last person that got bit down here, uh, I got the phone call. It was a professional person, supposed to be professional. She got bit in the stomach by an Eastern Nine attack, and she was in her late 50s. And she was doing a presentation, and a big Eastern Diamondback bit her in the stomach. Ouch. Okay, she put the snake up, didn't, you know, cause a big fuss. They rushed her to the hospital, and the doctor wouldn't give her antivenom because he didn't have her blood work back. He wasn't seeing signs of envenomation. And she knew Tom Crutchfield, and she had already called him, and I got the call, and I picked up her husband and rushed to the hospital and got to the doctor, and I said, why are you not giving her antivenom? Well, I'm not seeing envenomation, and I don't have her blood work back to see, you know, how much venom she's got in her system. I said, give her the antivenom now. It's not going to hurt her. Right. He wouldn't do it. He followed his own protocol, and we had a, a venom doctor from Florida was talking to him, and he actually went to med school with this guy, and he just wouldn't do it. He said, I've got to follow the protocol. And I said, this is not good. And when I got there, she was violently sick, throwing up, um, in serious trouble. And they, they got the blood work back and re- realized that she had a lot of venom in her system. And they started administering Crofab. She was in the hospital for about three weeks. And I think they gave her about 60 miles of Crofab. Damn. Damn. Was, uh, that's expensive. Imagine what that bill was. Yeah. Yeah, well, she had good insurance, but 
that all of that could have been avoided if they had started the crow fab as soon as she got to the hospital. Well, the problem were... is that the there's definitely a set of guidelines on what should happen, but not every hospital seems to have them. Like that's what kills Most... me. Like you would like to think that these are doctors; these are well-educated people. They should all know how to handle this, but they don't. Yep. Well, and I I addressed that several times. This is what I ran into. For example, in North Alabama and Huntsville, where I used to live, they get maybe two or three snake bite cases a year, maybe four or five at max. Okay, they don't treat enough snake bites to stay on top of it, so they don't care. Right, yeah. Um, I got bit in West Texas on my first trip out there by an Aatrox and, and went to the hospital. I shouldn't have even went, but I did. And the doctor was, he had one of those 10cc antivenom kits and he wanted to give me 10 cc's and he was putting my hand in ice water with salt in it and I wouldn't keep my hand in there because that was extremely painful and I told him I said I've already been bit for 30 minutes the swelling is going to about where my elbow is that's that's all it's going to do and I refused the antivenom and he he argued with me and he said you got to have at least 10 cc's minimum so I agreed to it they, he didn't know anything about the sensitivity test. He's reading the instructions on that kit. <laughs> on, oh, Lord, these guys. At least you didn't slice your arm open and go, we got we got to cut it open. Yeah, I would never. Them, I've been bit three times. There's no way I'd let anybody do that. That's fasciotomy, and they're not going to relieve the pressure. That's no. not happening. But anyways, he gave me the 10 cc's, then told me I had to stay for 48 hours. And I said, I'm going back out in the morning. He said, no, you can't leave. I said, well, I'll tell you what, you better find a way to keep me in that room because tomorrow morning I'm getting up and leaving, and I did. He was mad, but I left the hospital. I put my arm in a sling and went back out collecting. <laughs> then you got kicked out of your hotel, too, didn't you? We did get kicked out of the hotel because the guy I was with promised the lady at the hotel that we would not uh, have venomous snakes in the room, and I had no idea he told her that. So... That was a fiasco. <laughs> and and even when we talked to the doctors, they didn't care because they don't do it enough. It's kind of like, you know, you go to the dentist. If, if he doesn't, you know, do tooth extractions, but maybe once or twice a year, how good is he going to be at? Yeah. You've got to have somebody that's, that does enough work with venomous snakes to know what the protocol is, and they don't. Yeah, you know, Crofab is an amazing drug, and it gets out of your system pretty quick. But it, it also uh, works faster than the old horse serum. Wasn't there another? There's another antivenom now that is made. I can't remember what it is. Anavat. Anavat. Yeah, it's the new one that's good for all. I think it's all the all the um, North American vipers. vipers. Yeah, I think that's one thing that's good. Is it, it prices down having another option. Anyways, <laughs> um, so I was looking at some of the stuff that got posted this week. We talked about the invasives and all that. One thing that was funny was uh, so Nathan Holcomb posted an article that says Python Hunter awarded ten thousand dollars for bagging most invasive snakes in uh in their challenge down in Florida. Um, he says what this is what uh, Nathan said. One way to encourage getting rid of invasives thing is how come six hundred people only got over two hundred snakes if they're everywhere. 600 people out there hunting berms, and they <laughs> caught just over 200 of them. Yep. 
but they're everywhere. You gotta be, watch out for them. So, I think, like I said, you you don't hear about all the populations of monkeys and parrots and everything else, but you do hear about that. That's uh, that's media. It makes the, good the TV. Media. Yeah. I uh, oh, I stole this article actually from Travis. Travis posted it in another group, but it was an article on respiratory infections. It was actually really interesting. It talks about um, biological reasons why snakes get respiratory infections. And then also husbandry issues, why snakes get respiratory infections, and there being several different ones. There's a genetic reasons why. There's a, It's not just a cut and dry, and it's also not just a crank the heat up and it'll be all right mm-hmm. kind of thing. That's that's the old school. If it's got a respiratory infection, just turn the heat up. It'll be okay. It doesn't work for all of them. But uh, So if anybody wants to read that, that's over on the Reptile Gumbo Podcast discussion group. You can read that article. It is a scientific article, so it's got a lot of words. But, yeah. But Respiratory infections. I, I luckily have not had one of those in a snake in. It's been a long time. I think my my rainbow in like the first year I got it had a little bit of a wheeze, but since then not much. So, one thing I did we never really asked at the beginning. What do you work with now, Terry? Since now you're no longer doing shows and you're definitely focusing more on the business and breeding. What are you working on? Ooh, I've got. Uh, of course, I got ball pythons. I- I liked them before the morphs came around, so when the morphs came out, it was just more intriguing. Uh, got a lot of different colubrids, uh, and some things that are challenging to me, species that I've never bred before. I bred uh, the Mexican pines this year for the first time. Those are cool. Those are. Uh, of course, I got the rough scales. I've had those in the past. I've got an Indian sand boa that's about to drop babies, I hope. Awesome. Uh, never bred those before. I've got several of the rainbow boas. Got the albino Colombians, the leucistic Colombians, got Brazilians. Uh, I've got Dumeril's boas. I'm not big on boas, but some of the species, I'm just not big on common boa constrictors, but yeah. some of the odd stuff I like. Well, Rachel has uh, become addicted to Dumeril's boas. She now has five of them. I love Six them. of them. Six of them, yeah. <laughs> well, it started out, I had picked up a female from a buddy of mine that was wholesale on some babies. And he sold me one for $50 before the price went up on him. <laughs> oh wow. Wow. And when I met Nikki, I brought it to a show, and she was at the show with me. We were dating, and she goes, I don't know what kind of snake this is, but I really like that pattern. And I thought, oh, no. She goes, can I keep it? And I said, sure. So well, we bought a male. Now they're about almost six feet long, and we're hoping to breed those. So she's got a pair of them. She just loves them. And they're cool. Back in the day, they were favorites. Oh, they're one of the coolest looking boas. They are. I've got white lid pythons, uh, black-headed pythons, got sabu pythons. I've always loved those. So, I've got a smorgasbord of stuff, just a mixture of things. And I I love the shows. It's in my blood. Snakes will always be in my life until I'm gone. You know, I I started out as a little boy, and I still enjoy seeing them, catching them. You know, sometimes when we've got a show close by, I'll take some guys from that have never been in the swamps with cottonmouth, and I'll take them out and show them some cottonmouth. Actually, Mickey's wife caught her first cottonmouth with tongs, and she just had a ball in the swamps. So it, it's fun to teach people about the animals that, you know, it's, they're just not as dangerous as everybody thinks they are. Oh, yeah. They are when they bite, but they're not as aggressive as people think. Oh, so we've talked about, we've found several cottonmouths, and not a single one has chased us yet, and I feel cheated. 
No, I, I, I can't find the ones that chase you. I think maybe that species, it's a subspecies. <laughs> you got to really the, search hard for it. It's the, yeah, it's a, it's a certain one, and I think it died out. Every time <laughs> body, they shot it, so it, you know the genetics are gone for the chasing cotton mouth. So, but, but, and I understand that too, because when somebody's afraid of a snake, for example, if you get if you're walking along the bank of a creek and you get between a big water snake and the creek. And you hear something, he's headed for the water. He doesn't care if you're standing there or not. He'll crawl right across your feet, head for the water. The average person that's afraid of a snake thinks that snake tried to attack you. It's, yep. Of course, they're dancing and jumping and climbing trees and everything, trying to get away from it. All it wants to do is get in the water and get away from you. So and I've never seen cotton mouth to try and chase anybody. We're getting close to two hours, but I do want to touch on one other thing. There was a, on a podcast that I listened to this week. It was... Uh, the Reptile Fight Club, but they talked about monocultures, which is a big thing now. Uh, people breeding just one species, you know, someone having just ball pythons, or someone having just corn snakes. And Terry, I know you come from that generation of like having a well before it was like breeding was breeding, just having a little bit of everything. And your collection now is kind of that way. Um, what are your thoughts on on because you see it now for people that they just breed one thing and that is it? I think that'd be kind of boring myself. That's where I'm at. I couldn't do it. I, I like seeing babies being born live birth. I like them hatching, and I like seeing the different animals hatch. Because you and come from a generation where, like, colubrids were definitely bigger when you were younger. That was a bigger thing in the hobby. They're not as much it now. It was. It was. And it was like... I mean, the gray-banded king snake was a holy grail for me. I, I just... I had to have them, and I had to catch one. And I had bred them, and I did catch one. And we were looking for those when we were out there. And I'll go back and look some more. But I did get one under my belt. So uh, I, need, I need to go out and find one. I have no I, intention of keeping it, but I'd love to find one. Yeah, they're they're cool animals. This this amazing snake. Yes, they are. But yeah, it was that like I said, the podcast talked about monocultures, and they had to debate whether they were good or bad. And I saw the good side. So you know, if someone just likes one thing and wants to breed one thing, I get that. And they could become great at it, and 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 it's helped the hobby. the The people that are breeding just ball pythons have really, like we talked before, the reason we have so sure. many things in the hobby are because ball pythons are there, and so many other things. You wouldn't be building racks if ball pythons weren't the way they were. No, absolutely not. You know, uh, everything else wouldn't be the way it is. So it's great, but for me, I just couldn't do that. Like it's it's too boring. Now I do. I like, don't think either. I enjoy the challenge of certain species uh, of trying to duplicate what they need in nature, their food, their requirements, their, their cooling temperatures and stuff. And it's just a challenge to learn about them and to produce them and raise them and work with them. Well, I think a lot of reptile people have that collector part in their brain. We're like, I got to get one of everything. And so well, yeah. the problem is we have, well, as we get farther in the hobby, we have to control that part. Go, okay, I don't need one of everything, but I can get a little bit of every, you know, a few things. I met a guy over in the Carolinas, and he wanted to own every species of king snake that was available. And he tried, and he had a pretty nice collection of stuff. That's a lot. Uh, actually, of he's the one that brought the albino Nelson I into the hobby. It was Doug Moody, is who it was. Well, it'd be very easy for him to get all species of king snake now because they just lumped the entire East Coast together. So just get one of them, right? And you're good, right? Right. Just need an Eastern and a Western king snake. That's it. You got all yeah. It's just it's just like rat snakes. You see an eastern and a western rat snake or copperheads and eastern and a western. You're good. We don't we don't need to have this discussion. <laughs> yeah, we'll be here for another hour. <laughs> yeah. 
this won't go well. <laughs> yeah, because we had this discussion at Slide L, yeah. so I already know where it's going. Oh, uh, yeah. Anyway, there was a post. I'll, I'll leave you with this little thing. Someone found a coon dog inside of a hollow tree that they said had been there for 50 years. Mm-hmm. And it apparently had climbed up the tree chasing something, got stuck in the tree, and got mummified. And the tree was cut down, and I posted it on Facebook, and it showed that they found this mummified dog inside the hollow tree. They just speculated that's what happened. And I said, well, we need to ask the new snake guys if they've done a DNA test on the dog to see if it was an eastern dog or a western dog, because we kind of need <laughs> to know which one it was. And it's pure sarcasm, and I know that the young guys hate me for it, but they're just going to have to hate me because I can't deal with this <laughs> Eastern, Western. The Mississippi is not the dividing line for the states. They it's do not cross that river, Terry. Yeah. I, well, they don't do it. Obviously, they can't swim. You know, the Eastern snakes can't swim and neither can the Western nope. ones because they can't cross the river. And they can't so. figure out bridges. They, but if they, they do, they become a different species the minute they cross the river. True. That's right. <laughs> we, won't, we won't go there. Yeah, no. Uh, I think that'll take us several that hours. That'll take yeah. forever. Terry, thank you for coming on. I've been wanting to have you on for a while. It's awesome. Great talking with you guys, and and as usual, uh, I'll see you soon at one of the shows. Yes, if people want to get a hold of you, uh, especially since you got uh, babies and stuff hatching and being born coming, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, we're all over Facebook. Just just Google Dixie Reptiles, and we'll pop up. Yes, so and we're easy to find. And you can get uh, rough scale sambos, but except for a male, I'm getting one male rough scale sambo. <laughs> And I'm, I'm not selling any mails until you get yours. I'll let you have first pick. <laughs> and now that I know you're having Indian samples, I may hit you up for that one. As I say, I'm yep. going to hit you up for rough scales. <laughs> <laughs> not a problem. But, uh, Robert, I think you get a hold of you. Uh, LSReptileRacks.com. Dot com. Uh, Lone Star Reptile Racks Facebook, Instagram, and now TikTok. LSReptileRacks TikTok. That's right. <laughs> I love that you. 41 years old on freaking TikTok. I think it's fucking hilarious. Hey. Which he watches Terry, a lot. Terry, of. please tell it's me you have marketing. a TikTok. I, I don't use TikTok. Oh, I'm sorry. That'd have been the best. <laughs> oh, but yes, yeah. you, everybody can log on to Ellis Reptile Racks on TikTok and watch the new machine move back and forth. Yeah, I had in trouble for getting on MySpace because I was using it for to sell animals. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You referenced MySpace. Yep, that was not MySpace started it all. I did. Oh, Rachel, if they want to get a hold of you. We actually um, have powerful exotics on Facebook. I know. That's why now. I said I knew you had a power. I knew you had a Facebook. Yes. I'm working on the Instagram, and I guess I'm going to have to do a TikTok, too. Uh, I'm so. not doing TikTok. I can't do it. Uh, we'll see. If you want to get a hold of me, it is simply underscore serpents on Instagram or simply serpents on Facebook or for the podcast. It is the Reptile Gumbo Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and at gmail.com. And again, don't forget our giveaway. It ends at the end of August. Make sure you get in there. Post a picture of you, your favorite reptile, on Instagram or Facebook and hashtag the Reptile Gumbo Podcast. And you're in. That's all you got to do. So if you're listening to this right now as it's recording, take your phone out. I know you have a picture of you and your reptile. Just go ahead and post it. And hashtag and you're in for the drawing. You can win forceps, tongs, cage hook, and a field hook. So get on top of that. Uh, Terry, again, thank you for being here. Uh, thank everybody for listening. We will be back next week and goodbye. Thank you.